It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. What do we have on tap? Well, only way to find that out, you have to tune in. You have to grab your ticket, get on board, put your seatbelt on. Most importantly, enjoy the ride. That's right. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. And we are getting ready to get this train on the track. So let's get rolling. train sports talk podcast with your host and conductor anthony smith grab your tickets get on board and enjoy the ride it's the a train sports talk podcast all aboard Welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. Happy 4th of July to all of those of you who are listening. A lot is going on. And just because it's the holidays doesn't mean the sports world is taking a break. Normally in my intro, you hear me say things like, what do we have on tap? And I always say, well, you have to tune in to listen. This is one of those moments where we're still looking at free agency in the NBA. Some deals got done. Some deals are waiting to be done. And one trade request has yet to be made. And the intriguing part is where will that particular individual end up? But the fireworks that are really going off now is... How ironic is it now that Bob Bowlesby has stepped down as commissioner of the Big 12 and the new guys in place, now the Big 12 is making moves. Yes, that's right. So all that is coming up on today's episode of the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. Hope you guys are having a safe and happy 4th of July. Hope you have all your fingers left after the 4th of July is over with. Remember, if it pops, explodes, go bang, don't hold it. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Anyway, NBA got a frenzy going on. College football got a lot going on. So the first thing I'm going to do is start with some NBA talk. As NBA free agency 2022, the latest deals, news, buzz, and reports from around the league. So the NBA free agency has been in a frenzy as soon as the clock struck midnight Thursday as several 
star athletes agreed to record-setting deals to stay the faces of their respective franchises, and a few recognizable players will be suiting up for new teams in 2022-23. So let's take a look. Phoenix Suns star Devin Booker agreed on a four-year, $224 million Supermax extension. Memphis Grizzlies star Ja Morant agreed to terms on a four-year designated rookie extension, likely worth $226 million. Denver Nuggets star Nikolai Jokic agreed to the richest contract in NBA history, a five-year, $264 million Supermax extension. And Minnesota Timberwolves star Carl Anthony Towns, a.k.a. Cat, agreed on a four-year, $224 million Supermax extension. Meanwhile, the biggest storyline of the summer is still in flux and has the basketball world refreshing Twitter timelines waiting for more news. Brooklyn Nets star Kevin Durant asked team owner Joe Tossie for a trade Thursday, listing the Miami Heat and the Suns as his preferred destinations. Durant's teammate Kyrie Irving opted into his $36.5 million player option June 27th, but now his future in Brooklyn seems uncertain as ESPN's Brian Windhorst reported that Durant and Irving still want to play together, just not in Brooklyn. Elsewhere in the NBA, James Harden, $47.4 million, and Bradley Bill, $36.4 million, both declined their player options on the eve of free agency. Bill signed a five-year, $251 million max contract with the Washington Wizards minutes into free agency, but no deal has been done for Harden. One of the biggest remaining names still on the table is Phoenix center DeAndre Ayton. Some updates that took place July the 3rd at 3.26 p.m. Eastern. The Chicago Bulls have agreed to a one-year contract with veteran point guard Goran Dragic. Agent Bill Duffy told ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. Drogic signed with the Brooklyn Nets last season after receiving offers from the Bulls. Los Angeles Lakers, Golden State Warriors, L.A. Clippers, and Milwaukee Bucks when his contract was brought out. He played just 16 regular season games for Brooklyn after sitting out most of the season with the Toronto Raptors. On July the 2nd, 5.39 p.m. Eastern, Zion Williamson agreed to a five-year, $193 million maximum rookie extension with the New Orleans Pelicans. CAA Sports co-head of basketball Austin Brown told ESPN the deal could earn him as much as $231 million. Williamson averaged 25.7 points, 7 rebounds, and 3.2 assists during his first two NBA seasons, but he missed all of last season with a foot injury. At 2.51 p.m. Eastern, the Oklahoma City Thunder signed former Dallas Mavericks for Eugene Omaruri to a two-year contract, his agent Mike George of One Legacy Sports told ESPN. Omaruri played in four games for Dallas last season, scoring seven points with seven rebounds and two assists. On 2.45 at 2.45 p.m. Eastern, the Detroit Pistons signed former Syracuse guard Buddy Beheim. Y'all remember him? Buddy Buckets? To a two-way contract, the team announced Saturday. Beheim led the ACC in scoring during the 2021-22 season 
averaging 19.2 points and ranked second in the conference in three point in three pointers made per game at 2.8. At 12:30 p.m. Eastern, Cleveland Cavaliers All-Star guard Darius Garland has agreed to a five-year, 193 million maximum designated rookie contract extension that could be worth as much as 231 million. Clutch Sports CEO Rich Powell told ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, "It is the largest deal in franchise history." On July the first, at 11:28 p.m. Eastern, free agent guard Damian Lee has agreed to a one-year deal with the Phoenix Suns. Sources told ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, "Lee averaged 7.4 points, 3.2 rebounds, and one assist in 63 games for the Golden State Warriors last season." Free agent center Jalen Smith has agreed to a two-year, $9.6 million deal to return to the Indiana Pacers, sources told ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. Smith, 22, averaged 13.4 points, 7.6 rebounds, and one block in 22 games for the Pacers. At 7.24 p.m. Eastern, free agent guard Dante DiVincenzo has agreed to a two-year, $9.3 million deal million dollar deal with the Golden State Warriors, so it's told ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. DiVincenzo split last season between the Milwaukee Bucks and Sacramento Kings, averaging nine points, four point reba- four rebounds, and 2.8 assists in 42 games. And at 3.37 p.m. Eastern, the Utah Jazz are trading center Rudy Gobert to the Minnesota Timberwolves, sources told ESPN. The Timberwolves are sending Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Walker Kessler, Jared Vanderbilt, and Leandro Balmaro to the Jazz for Gobert. Utah will also get unprotected first-round picks from the Wolves in 2023, 2025, and 2027, and a top-five protected pick in 2029. Also on that day, at 3.34 p.m. Eastern. Nemanja Belicia, Belsia has informed the Golden State Warriors that he is leaving the NBA to return to Turkey, sources confirmed to ESPN's Kendra Andrews. Nemanja played for Turkish champions Fenerbahce between 2013 and 2015. Also at 2.57 p.m., free agent center Kevon Looney has agreed to a three-year, $25.5 million deal to return to the Golden State Warriors, sources told ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. Looney had been a significant element of the Warriors' title run and exits free agency to stay on a new deal with the NBA champions, Wojnarowski added. At 1.38 p.m. Eastern, the Indiana Pacers are sending Malcolm Borgdon to the Boston Celtics for Daniel Thies, Aaron Nesmith, and a 2023 first-round pick, sources told ESPN. The Celtics are also including Nick Stockas and Malik Fitz and Juwan Morgan in the deal. The trade cannot happen until July 9 because Morgan has a signing restriction in his contract 
So that is some NBA news to get things started. So what I want to do is kind of go on a little bit of a rant, so to speak, if any of it will make sense what I'm about to say. Because we're looking at this Kevin Durant situation, and his preferred destination is either Miami or Phoenix. Right now, we don't know what it is Phoenix or Miami would have to give up to get Kevin Durant. And you also heard it said that both Kyrie and Durant still want to play together, not just in Brooklyn. My thing is, if they want to still play together, Brooklyn might be the only choice that they really have. Now, talk radio overnight last night was really kind of heating up. And if you listen to, some people can, the way they talk when you listen to them, they could almost sell you a block of ice and the temperature is sub-zero degrees. A question was posed. Even though Durant has requested a trade, and now the other talk is there's talk that there will be there was there's possibly a trade taking place between Kyrie Irving and Russell Westbrook. Yes, you heard that right. Kyrie going to the Lakers, Russell Westbrook going to the Brooklyn Nets. That's either an ouch or a hoorah. Now to break down the Russell Westbrook over the past few years. In Oklahoma City, he was well-beloved, and he really became the face of the franchise when Durant said, you know what, I'm going to the Bay Area. He went to Houston. People still loved him. He went to the Wizards. They loved him there. Then he had the opportunity to go to the Lakers. And his name went from Russell Westbrook to Russell Westbrook. New York, in essence, became like New York. Yeah, we're talking Knicks fans. They were hard to please, and they showered him with a lot of criticism. Russell Westbrook is still a very talented, high-level player. But honestly, the way I heard it, I think he struggled with his confidence, and that was in large part due to the L.A. market, the L.A. fan base. Like I said, the L.A. fan base became New York Knicks fan mentality-wise. Now, let me just throw this out there. Let's just hypothetically say that does happen, that Westbrook goes to the Brooklyn Nets in exchange for Kyrie Irving. Are the Lakers that much more of a better team with Kyrie Irving? Granted, he is a baller. When he's on the court, and the key word is when he is on the court, he is a top 10 player, bar none, in the NBA. You cannot take that away from him. But the key word is when he is on the court, his availability. 
at least with Russell Westbrook, you know he's going to be there unless he's injured. His availability is darn near 100% outside of injuries. And overall, he's pretty much kept himself in good shape, and he hasn't been injured too much except for the little stint in Oklahoma City. So now the next question was posed. Even though Durant has decided that he wants a trade, let's say he stays put. And a trade goes down, which brings Russell Westbrook to the Brooklyn Nets. First question is, because this wasn't even stated, could Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant coexist? But the next thing is, if Kevin Durant decided to say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and stay. I'm going to bury the hatchet with Russell Westbrook. Because here's another point of interest that was brought up. When the Oklahoma City Thunder were making their playoff runs, here's the thing that didn't happen. Russell Westbrook wasn't the cause of them losing. Kevin Durant definitely wasn't the cause of them losing. If you look at their stats, they did their part. Oh, by the way, they had a guy on the team named James Harden. Guess what happened to him? The same thing that always happens to James Harden. James Harden does what James Harden does when it comes to playoff. He disappears. He may as well have been a Washington Wizard and played the role of Houdini. Somehow, if you could transform a James Harden regular season into postseason play, Oklahoma City might have had not one, but maybe two championships during that era. The next question is, if Durant said, you know what, forget the trade. There's no way me and Kyrie is going to be playing together anyway, so I'm going to stay here. We got Ben Simmons, if he plays. We got Russell Westbrook, and we know what he brings. Would you respect Kevin Durant for a move like that? Something to think about. Yes, those were hypotheticals. Don't see it happening. But in the world of the NBA, expect the unexpected to happen. Anyway. The A Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. I will be back with some more on the other side of this break. So don't you go to work. Podcast, your podcast for sports and so much more. 
Thank you for listening to the A-Train Sports Talk podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. If you would like to have your ad or sponsor a segment on here, simply reach out to me at 316-553-2010 or you can simply email me. That's talk at gmail.com. That's a.trainsportstalk at gmail.com. Once again, it's the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. This is Tracy, host of the Moonstar Podcast, and you are listening to A-Train. Buckle up, baby, and enjoy the ride. Welcome back to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. Yep, we're back, and just when you thought the college football world was rocking with the news of UCLA and USC making plans to go to the Big Ten, the Big 12 said, hold it, wait a minute, we're not going to be outdone, we're not going to be lost in the shuffle. No way, no how, the Big 12... Personally speaking, a year ago, when the news came out that Texas and OU was leaving the Big 12, I, along with somebody, my with other people as well, well, there goes the Big 12 as we know it. They're done. Put a fork in it. They're dead. Bob Mosby, you have wrecked this conference. You have left it in the shambles. Uh, all we're waiting for now is for everybody else to start plucking up teams from the Big 12, and the Big 12, as we know, will no longer exist. Then there was a report out that said that the Pac-12 was looking to expand after losing USC and UCLA. Now my mindset is beginning to shift and say, well, maybe the Pac-12, as we know it, is dead. The Big 12 expansion lead to meet with Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and can we hear the theme song? Welcome back, Colorado. A meeting is scheduled between members of the Pac-12 and the Big 12 on Tuesday. Times, they are a-changing, and the Big 12 is trying to keep up. In an effort to try and serve and hold serve against leagues like the newly expanding SEC and Big Ten, the Big 12 will reportedly meet with current Pac-12 members, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado on Tuesday. These schools would theoretically be added to the league along with Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, BYU, who are already scheduled to join in 2023. As longtime members of the Pac-12, Arizona and Arizona State are obviously looking to abandon what might be perceived as a sinking ship. Members, since 1978, this move will not be taken lightly by either institution. Utah and Colorado have only been 
in the league since 2011, and Colorado was previously in the Big 12. So what would be so that would be a natural move back. Utah doesn't have any long tradition in the conference, and the Pac-12 was the program's first experience with what is considered a major conference. Make no mistake, none of these schools come even close to making up for the loss of Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC in 2025, but it would be a start. And with Cincinnati, UCF, BYU, and Houston, these four schools could keep the conference afloat alongside the SEC and Big Ten until the next go-around of college football conference silly season. With that being said, also, you look at also keeping some natural rivalries, Arizona, Arizona State. Then you got BYU in Houston, which is known as the Holy War. Now you have that rivalry in the same conference. You're looking at the Big 12 is doing something that these other conferences really haven't been able to do, and that's keep natural rivalries. Now, yes, it has been said that you're basically going to be looking at two superpower conferences, so to speak. And I pretty much alluded to that on my last podcast. But now the Big 12 just had to mess things up, either in a good way or a bad way. That just remains to be seen. The question is, what are the next moving pieces going to be? Another interesting scenario I heard is the reason you got all these moving parts, as opposed to why did it take a year for this to happen since the Texas OU move? Because now you're looking at TV contracts. And everybody wants to get a piece of that. And it would behoove the new commissioner of the Big 12 to go ahead and finally do what Bob Bowlesby didn't have the guts to do because he cowered down in the face of the almighty Texas. Your conference needs a conference network. In essence, kind of like revenue sharing. It just makes sense. The Big Ten does it. The SEC has their network. Heck, the ACC, the, the ACC has their own network. So if this new commissioner can get that going, That'll be a feather in this cap and a plus for the Big 12. Now, my next question, I'm going to pose this too. Since we're looking at expansion and we know that this might not happen, do you think now would be a good time for Nebraska to come on back to the Big 12 as well too? For one, they seem like a misfit in the Big Ten. They do not seem like a fit. Only thing they're capitalizing on is what I just mentioned. There's the fact that there is a Big Ten network, and each school is allotted so much off of that network. But if this thing is about money and TV deals, and the Big 12 can get a pretty darn good TV deal, and they can get their own network, if it's money, if it's about the money, which it is, if the Big 12 can put together a good package, I think it would be enticing to say, hey, Nebraska, we're going to come back where you belong. It would just make sense. But first, you got to ink good TV deals, which is why you're seeing all these moving parts so quick and so fast and in a hurry. But at the same time, if you get your own network and can distribute the funds 
equally. And let's say it's a dollar or two more above what you're getting right now. I think it would be fitting that you bring Nebraska back to the Big 12. Also, in some more college football news, the recruiting trail is most definitely heating up. And I wonder how is Nick Saban going to handle this? Because they definitely do not like to get beat out, especially in their home state. However, there was a recruiting war that came down between wide receiver Carmelo English number 66 college football recruit in ESPN 300 commits to the Auburn Tigers. Carmelo English decided to stay close to home by committing to Auburn on Monday. English, a 5'11", 175-pound wide receiver from Central High School in Phoenix City, Alabama, is ranked number 66 in the ESPN 300. He chose Auburn over Alabama, Florida, Kentucky, Penn State, and Michigan. Coach Brian Harson and the Tigers have three ESPN 300 recruits so far in this cycle. English running back Jeremiah Cobb, number 279, and safety Terrence Love, number 282. English is the first ESPN 300 wide receiver to pledge for the Tigers since Kobe Hudson and Zavion Capers were both part of the 2020 class. And looking at some more headlines. As Cristobal's Canes land the number five recruit in the 2023 class. Offensive lineman Francis Miago, number five in the 2023 ESPN 300, next in line to commit to the Miami Hurricanes football program. Offensive lineman Francis Miago pulled a mild surprise by committing to Miami on Monday. The six foot six, 325 pound Miago, who attends IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida, is number five on the 2023 ESPN 300 and was also considering Tennessee, USC, Alabama, Florida, and Hawaii. Miago becomes Miami's sixth. ESPN 300 recruit for this cycle, joining quarterback Jaden Rashada, number 22, tight end Riley Williams, number 66, wide receiver Nathaniel Joseph, number 14, no, correction, number 142, athlete Robert Stafford, number 193, and athlete Robbie Washington, number 280. Miago is the first ESPN 300 offensive lineman to play for the Hurricanes since Lawrence Seymour came aboard as part of the 2021 class. Miami's 2023 class is ranked 16th in the, in ESPN's latest team rankings 
and Miago becomes Mario Cristobal's top recruit for this cycle. Miago is the second highly regarded offensive lineman in to make a college commitment within the past week after Caden Proctor, number six, stayed home by pledging to Iowa. And that's not all. As we're looking at the top headlines. And of course, it's probably redundant to even give this report, seeing what is happening now. But the Pac-12 to explore all expansion options after UCLA and USC announced exit to the Big Ten in 2024. The Pac-10, the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors on Friday morning authorized the conference to explore all expansion options following the decisions of USC and UCLA to join the Big Ten in 2024, according to a statement from the Pac-12. The 10 university presidents and chancellors remain committed to a shared mission of academic and athletic excellence on behalf of our student-athletes, the statement said. One source in the conference told ESPN on Friday is wide open as far as who the Pac-12 would consider inviting, but added the Big 12 and ACC are worth exploring. While there has been speculation about Oregon and Washington wanting to follow USC and UCLA to the Big Ten, there has been no official indication in the league of their intentions. Everybody's paying playing it close to the vest the source said the big 10 presidents and chancellors voted unanimously unanimously on thursday to add usc and ucla to the conference starting on august 2nd 2024 a second source within the pac-12 told espn on friday every effort is being made to secure the league's future the pac-12 released a statement later thursday saying it was extremely surprised and disappointed by the news of ucla and usc leaving we have a long and storied history in athletics, academics, and leadership in supporting student athletes that we're confident will continue to thrive and grow into the future. The Pac-12 said in its statement, the Pac-12 is home to many of the world's best universities, athletic programs, and alumni representing one of the most dynamic regions in the United States. We've long been known as the Conference of Champions and we're unwavering in our commitment to extend that title. We will continue to develop new and innovative programs that directly benefit our member institutions, and we look forward to partnering with current and potential members to pioneer the future of college athletics together. So that's a little bit of news for you on the college football front, and there is so much more, but I know time won't allow me to just give you all that I want to give you, but if you stay tuned, well, I tell you what, before I go on this latest rant, before I go on this break, I want to pose this to you. With everything that's being done, the moving parts, so to speak, USC, UCLA, now the Big 12 is reaching out to not two, but four members of the Pac-12, which also begs the question, what happens should this go through? What happens to the Pac-12 as we know it? Do they still look to expand? But the real key to college football is this right here. What becomes of that independent school? Notre Dame. 
you have to keep in mind with this one thing right here. All these moves that are being made is all about money and power. Notre Dame is an institution that plays an independent schedule, no conference affiliation, can schedule how they want to schedule. Now, it said, okay, if they were to, say, join the Big, the big Ten, well, you still have your USC that you play on an annual basis. Then there is some talk that Stanford could possibly be on their way to the Big Ten because now, as we see, the ship known as the Pac-12 is slowly but surely sinking. So could there be a move in the makings where Stanford goes and follows suits and ends up in the Big Ten? Now, Notre Dame, you have two of your rival teams that you schedule on an annual basis plant in the same conference. But if this thing is all about money, keep in mind, they have a nice lucrative TV deal with NBC. And basically, if Notre Dame is an 11-win team, and Lord forbid if they go undefeated in a season, they are automatically penciled in the college football playoff, whether it's a four-team race or if it's an eight-team race, then it is no doubt Notre Dame getting in the college football playoff based on their record. So the question is, if Notre Dame has a TV contract that's on par with whatever these conferences may be getting, if you're Notre Dame, do you give that up and say, okay, I'll join a conference? Or do you just go ahead and Stay on the road that you're on. The old saying goes, stick with the lady that got you to the dance. But at some point, that lady gets old. The question is, what conference would be a good fit for Notre Dame? Because Notre Dame do have some rivals that have been built because of their independence and not being affiliated with a conference. But if they go to a conference, the financial package is right. Where do they go? What makes the most sense? Keeping in mind that the way the Pac-12 appears to be sinking, you could very well end up seeing Stanford following their California brothers, UCLA and USC, to the Big Ten. Could the Big Ten put a financial package together that would entice a Notre Dame? It remains to be seen. Anyway, it is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. I'll have something on the other side of this break. So what I want you to do is stay seated. Keep your seatbelt on. We will be back on the other side of this break. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. I'm Nick. And I'm Adam. And we're cheering from the cheap seats, and you're listening to the A-Train Sports Podcast. Whoop, whoop!
welcome back to the A-Train Sports Talk for another segment. Most likely my final one. But it ought to be a good one. I try to bring it. And I try to give you what's out there that is current. But while I'm at it, let me just say that I know I've said this before and I'm going to say it again, but I am looking to expand the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. There is a lot going on out in the world and part of my reasoning for doing this is because there are those that I'm looking who will probably support this podcast at the same time I support them. To some shape, form, or fashion, in this business, it's about helping each other grow in their respective fields, which is why come the return of the outside the box segment will be back much sooner than later. I have some people that are responsible for my logos looking good, who I will get on my podcast and shine some light on their business. Yes, graphic designers, entertainers, business owners. Also, if things go well, Wednesday, I will be having my other segment that I've done once. It'll be called Point Counterpoint with a couple of local radio guys who happen to have went to the same school. And that school, just like the now Washington Commanders, will be playing under just the name of the direction of the school name. So I'm looking forward to having that conversation on Wednesday. Unfortunately, I won't be able to have them on at the same time because of how one feels and he didn't want to come across as being like a debate. So I will have them on each individually. But nonetheless, it will still be considered point and counterpoint. So I'm looking forward to having that conversation. So yes, outside the box, point, counterpoint, most likely this week, probably. So, now that I'm back, there is a story that surfaced, a report that surfaced. Basically, Jay Billis on why NIL has been good for college sports and the hurdles that remain. This was a story that surfaced on June the 29th, just about five days ago. But, we have some audio from one Paul Feinbaum who was gobsmacked by Saban's criticism of Texas A&M. So, I am going to effort pulling up this audio so you can hear what one Paul Feinbaum had to say. Well, we're having some technical difficulties pulling that up. Uh, don't want to have you in silence. So I'm just going to ramble on. But I am curious as I'm pulling this up, what do you think 
about NIL? Is it ruining the game? I keep mentioning his name. I had him on my 200th episode, uh, Scott Styles, and he tends to think it's kind of ruining the game because now you have players making more than assistant coaches. Of course, when you look at how it has affected basketball, you have NIL and the transfer portal, and you're basically remaking your team year in and year out. You may as well have a junior college team because that's pretty much the extent of it. But right now, I do have this audio, so here we go. Well, once again, we're still having some technical difficulties. So basically what we're going to do, we're just going to bypass the audio and just give you the report by one Jay Billis, ESPN. As July the 1st marks the one-year anniversary of college athletes finally being allowed to monetize their name, image, and likeness, known as NIL. Something that literally, literally every other person in America is allowed to do without regulation or restriction. Until a year ago, college athletes were limited to a scholarship and stipend due to NCAA's principles of amateurism. Their sports were to be pursued for the love of the game and nothing more. Even while the administrators of the game turned college sports into a multi-billion dollar entertainment industry, that generates over $19 billion per year. A year ago, the NCAA was forced to give up on amateurism, a principle that has never been defined due to numerous state laws being passed allowing athletes NIL rights and a devastating unanimous loss before the United States Supreme Court in the Alston case in which the NCAA was again ruled to be a federal antitrust violator. Conceptually, NIL means that college athletes can now earn and accept money doing commercial endorsements, appearances, and social media posts, writing books, hosting camps, giving lessons, and performing various other commercial activities outside of their schools, all within running, all without running afoul of NCAA rules. Even though the NCAA was essentially forced to allow such outside compensation to athletes after decades of spending millions upon millions of dollars in legal fees to deny athletes any economic rights, the NCAA heralded this change as a good and welcome thing, as long as it remained limited and did not become paid for play. The mental gymnastics it takes to deconstruct the NCAA's arguments over what is paid for play and what is not will be left for another day. Here, let's examine some of the many positives NIL has brought, 
along with some of the ongoing challenges and perceived negatives and determine whether those stated negatives and complaints are really so bad. The positives. A wide swath of athletes are making money and not just in high revenue sports. Critics of NF, uh, NIL predicted that the only top 1% of athletes would make any money. It was said that the star quarterback would benefit while the lineman blocking for him would be penniless and upset at the disparity. Coaches said that differing levels of compensation would lead to fights and dissension in the locker room because it just wasn't fair unless everyone was getting the same amount in the NIL space. Of course, none of that was really true. Athletes from star players in high-revenue sports to walk-ons to charismatic athletes in lesser-viewed sports have found the NIL space to be quite lucrative. While there is no way to have NIL opportunities evenly apportioned among all athletes in all sports, it is clear that there have been far more athletes taking advantage of NIL than predicted by its early critics. While there were and are questions about fairness, whether it is truly fair for some athletes to make money while others may not, there has never been such fairness in college athletics. In Division I athletics, less than 60% of athletes get scholarship money, and most sports have strict scholarship restrictions that do not allow the number of scholarships to approach roster limits. The very idea that the NCAA and its members really care about fairness is undercut by this undeniable fact. Women's college athletics are benefiting not being left behind. It was said that early on that NIL would be unfair to female athletes and actually hurt women's sports. Early returns indicate such concerns were without merit. Paige Beckers, the UConn star basketball player, has NIL deals with companies as varied as Gatorade and StockX. Olivia Dunn, an LSU gymnast with over 6 million social media followers, was reported to have earned over 1 million representing a clothing company. Women have thrived in the NIL space, not only earning money, but gaining a platform to advance gender equity in college sports and beyond. Women have been active and creative in the social media sphere, and there is no indication that NIL has damaged the women's sports in any way. To the contrary, all evidence indicates that NIL has enhanced women's sports and brought more attention to its best and most charismatic athletes. In addition, it has empowered female athletes and allowed some to earn money to start businesses and pay for graduate school. Questions about Sources of money to athletes have mostly ended, thankfully. In years past, when amateurism, amateurism restrictions were the order of the day, uncomfortable questions would arise around athletes. Where did he get the money for that car? How could he afford that watch? Who paid for those tattoos? How did she pay for the plane ticket for that workout with a WNBA player that we saw on social media? Too many times. Too many times in the past, such questions were asked. 
and we were having some technical glitches. There we go. Too many times in the past, such questions were asked and compliance and NCAA inquiries would follow. And there was the appearance of a racial component to many of the questions and inquiries. With NIL, such questions have largely gone away, and that is a major positive. Nobody cares anymore, nor should they. It is not their business, and it never was. More athletes seem to be opting to stay in school. Before NIL, the choice to remain in college or join the true pay-for-play professional ranks was a black and white, all-or-nothing decision. An athlete could choose to stay in school and earn no money or leave school to earn money. With NIL, players now have the option to continue their education and earn money, and many have chosen to do so. The full numbers are unclear at this stage, but the examples are many. For those that champion education, this is a major positive. To have any athlete choose to continue his or her education, for whatever reason, can only be seen as a positive if one truly believes in education. In addition, the school benefits by having an athlete for another year. Talent might be more spread out, not con concentrated. An early fear among critics of NIL was that talent would be consecrated among the best and richest programs and that competitive balance would be compromised. Early returns seem to show that this is not the case. Principles of economics dictate that compensation for athletes is more likely to spread talent out among more schools than to concentrate talent among the very few. In fact, talent was more concentrated when athletes' decisions were limited to best coach, best facilities, most exposure, and the like. Now, just like for everyone else, money can be a factor in an athlete's decision, but it is not only factor. Nick Saban's recent comments about Texas A&M were revealing in this area. Saban suggested that Texas A&M and even Jackson State may have bought recruits, implying that without money as a factor, some of those players would have been at Alabama. What that indicate is top recruits are in play for more destinations rather than fewer. If we really believe in competitive balance, isn't that a positive? The truth is limiting athletes always benefited the chosen few schools and meant the highest spending schools were in better position to attract top recruits than the lesser spending schools. NIL helps level that very uneven playing field. College sports has never been, has never had parity or competitive balance in any real way and likely never will. The very idea that the only thing that leads to competitive balance is athletes remaining unpaid was and is absurd. If the NCAA and its members really cared about competitive balance, they would have revenue sharing. They don't. College sports is about a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but it is undeniably that one of the things college sports is really about is money. And there is a lot more to this report. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to finish out this sec this 
portion right here, how NIL helps with financial literacy. One of the clear positives of NIL is the financial literacy for athletes that comes with the business of college sports. Now, athletes can engage in commercial activities, sign contracts, pay taxes, make financial decisions whether to save or invest, and learn important lessons about how the business world really works. It is a great opportunity for athletes to learn and for schools to educate. In addition, since NIL, we have seen examples of athletes donate money earned to charitable causes they believe in. Such donations should not be seen as a requirement, but they are most certainly a positive of NIL. And those are the positives of NIL. What I'm going to do on my podcast tomorrow, I'm going to continue this story, but I'm going to come back with the negatives of the NIL, which is the hurdles that they still have yet to cross. Well, I hope you have enjoyed this edition of the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. You might hear some noise in the background. That are pe- That is people outside enjoying their 4th of July while there is still time left to enjoy it. That's what the loud bang is if you hear that. However, once again, I hope you have enjoyed your 4th of July. Uh, I've enjoyed bringing this podcast to you. And like I say, I will come back tomorrow with the rest of that story. It will be the negatives of NIL and the hurdles that they have to cross because there are still some hurdles that need to be crossed. Who is going to fix this situation? Maybe it's the next president of the NCAA. That remains to be seen. But until the next time, please enjoy the rest of your 4th of July. Stay safe. And I hope you enjoy what you heard tonight or whenever you listen to this podcast. I hope you enjoy it as much as I've enjoyed doing it. And I will try to stay on top of all this moving parts because this is just the beginning. There's going to be some more movement. The question is, will there be a Pac-12 left after it's all said and done? But until the next time, this is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. I am pulling this train into the station. Be blessed. I'm out. Oh,